Palm Sunday. And we're so glad that you're here with us today. And we have a special guest, speaker, leader, teacher, preacher um, that is near and dear to Alex's heart. David Peterson is a close friend to Alex. He's on, um, not just a friend, but he's also on the board of advisors for this church. Um, He's one of the reasons why Alex is here. And I know, um, I probably say this so many times, but I don't know where I would be in my walk with God if this church wasn't here. I don't know where I would be in my faith if it wasn't for Alex and Darby. I don't know if my kids would have a good idea of what a pastor's like if it wasn't for Alex and Darby. Um, When they think of a pastor, my kids, they think of a friend. Um, What a better way to think of someone that has been in this community, leading this community with integrity and honesty. And um, and it's a joy to have David come and speak to us all the way from Missouri, um, from some place, Nixa, was it Nixa? And uh, he said that Nixa is famous for David Bourne the, in the movie being from Nixa, Missouri. So he says he's like, David Bourne's like his Rocky. Like, you know, we've got this fictional character that is like, that we think is real. And Rocky is real. There's a statue, you know. Um, he's very much real. Um, so we have our secret agent preaching, uh, uh, preaching with us today. So come on, David, why don't you come and share? Thanks for being here. Okay, do you all mind if I scoot a little closer? Will I be okay here? We're going to do it here. So um, thank you for letting me be here. At my church uh, in Missouri, I'm, I pastor a church called Sojourn Church that we uh, is about 20 years old. I went there about six years ago, and um, we just are kind of revitalizing or restarting the church. We moved in October of last year renamed the church, moved to a new location, new staff. So in many ways, it's like a church plant. And uh, I always laugh at my folks because they like to sit toward the back of the room. So a couple of Sundays recently, I'll just walk to the middle of the room and preach from the middle of the room. So I'm like, if you all want to sit back there, I'll just come to you. Don't worry about it. It's perfectly fine. Um, Man, it is an honor and a privilege to be here. I move around some, so I'm going to do my best not to cause problems today. Um, I came to Philadelphia for the first time in March of 1999, and uh, I was a seminary student in Louisville, Kentucky, and I knew God wanted me to go to a big city. I love urban areas. Uh, My dad pastored inner city, Kansas City, Missouri, when I was growing up, and so I love being in the city. There's nothing better than the energy of being in Center City and Old City and just walking around, and man, it just makes my heart beat. I I love the city. I was here for 18 years. Um, I have three daughters. Two of them were born here. My oldest was four when we moved here. And if you will ask them where they're from, Philadelphia is still our home. We've been in Missouri almost six years now, moved back to Missouri. It's where I was born and raised. Uh, Spent 18 years here. Just love this city. I still bleed green. Um, I root for the Phillies. When the, the Eagles won the Super Bowl a few years ago, Uh, game got over on Sunday night Monday morning I was in my car driving to Philadelphia and I was down at the uh, the art museum steps with uh, three million of my closest friends (laughs) celebrating the Super Bowl Uh, when my wife and I moved to Missouri one of the stipulations we made is we had to get direct TV so we could have Sunday tickets so we could watch all the Eagles games so uh, while I live in Missouri now I will tell you Philadelphia is still home and so it is great to be back it's great to be with Alex and Darby 
and, uh, and horizon and just um, be here to encourage you as you celebrate your fifth anniversary as a church. Uh, it, it's Church planting is an interesting journey. So I told you I visited here for the first time in March of 1999. And when I came here and visited for that first time, there was a guy named Frank Miller, who was the uh, director of missions for the association, who said to us, we've not successfully planted a church in Philadelphia in 20 years. What makes you think you're different? Not the biggest encouraging words, would you say? To, to like, this is the first, there were five, four families that were there visiting, thinking about moving here to start churches. And these were like literally some of the first words he said to us. And um, amazing God thing that all four families came here. We started churches and just got to be a part of that. Uh, while I was here, I was a part of starting three different churches. And then I worked with our mission board to recruit and train church planters. And that's when um, I got to know Alex and Darby. But when we were first told that, that God hasn't successfully planted a church here, we knew that God was calling us here. We just knew without a doubt, like we knew this is where we belonged and just fell in love with the city, fell in love with people, fell in love with the sports, fell in love with every aspect of it. And, um, you know, it doesn't matter what the past has been. If God's called you to do something, you follow him and you trust him. And that's what we tried to do. In 2014, um, I, I left the last church that I planted, which is out in Westchester. So I started one in Northeast Philadelphia, one in Horsham, uh, Warrington area, and then one out in Westchester. And in 2014, I left that last church that I started and went to work for our mission board doing that recruiting and training planters. And that's when I met Alex and Darby. And they were one of the first two or three couples that I got to know and to be a part of them moving here and starting uh, churches. And so going back, they said we hadn't successfully started a church in 20 years. Then when I went, for the, went to work for the mission board, they said, your job is to make sure we start four churches per year. Now, none for 20 years. When we came, there was about five or six that started over about uh, a 12 to 13 year period. So five in, in 12 to 13 years. And now my job is four a year. And I'm like, you're crazy. There's no way. Well, I met Alex and Darby and other couples and got to be a part of seeing churches started and it was absolutely amazing. Um, I got to be with you all at your first anniversary, and I get to be with you today on your fifth anniversary. I hope I don't preach the same message. Um, I have no idea what I preached four years ago, but the good thing is that I know I probably wasn't good enough that any of you would remember anyway, so we're just going to enjoy it today. Uh, but when I think about church planting and when I think about you all reaching your fifth anniversary and what that means as a church, I was stopping this week and kind of thinking through what words come to my mind when I think of uh, church planting, when I think of Horizon, when I think of Alex and Darby's life? And I just, I'm, a, I'm kind of a visual guy, so I like to think through things and, and kind of write down these words and different things that come to my mind. And so I wrote down these words that came to my mind, and they are faith, hope, prayer, dependence, and perseverance. And as we look at a message today, I think you're going to see parts of each one of those words. Because I used to tell guys when they were moving here, church planting is the most amazing, thrilling, joyful, exciting thing you will ever do in your life. Balanced out with the most difficult, frustrating, overwhelming, depressing, uh, just weighty thing you will ever do in your life. 
And a lot of times those different emotions happen within about a 30-second span of each other. The best way I know to describe it is a roller coaster. If you're going up a hill and you're like, this is going to be so exciting, this is going to be amazing, and all of a sudden you get to the top of the hill, and if you're a roller coaster, I like big roller coasters, you get to that top of the hill, and the first thought that comes to your mind is like, oh crap, this just got real. And it's all that emotion, all those twists and turns. And when you're starting a church, and when you're building a church, and you're living in total dependence upon God, you feel all of those emotions. And that's life for all of us. There's good days and there's bad days. And so today I want us to look at some scripture from uh, 1 Samuel chapter uh, 22 mainly. But before we do, I want to kind of give you a little background. We're going to look at at King David before he's the king actually. We're going to look at David after he has been called to, to be the king. He's been anointed the king. God said he's going to be the king, but he's not there yet. And so... Let me just give you a little background, and then we're going to read some scripture. We're going to look at, at 1 Samuel chapter 22, 23, a little bit of 21, but let me give you a little bit of background. Like I said, David has been anointed the king by Samuel, but Saul is still the king, and, and Saul has become paranoid and, and worried about David and who he is, and David's got all these accolades, and you know, people are singing... Uh, Saul has killed his millions David has killed his ten millions and Saul's like well wait a minute I'm still the king like I how come he's getting more credit than me and so he's become paranoid and he's determined to kill David and so we're going to look at real quick at a couple of verses in first Samuel chapter 21 and we're going to start I just want to read uh, starting in verse 10 and we're going to read to the end of that it says David fled that day from Saul's presence and went to King Akesh of Gath. But Akesh's servants said to him, Isn't this David the king of the land? Don't they sing about him during their dances? Saul has killed his ten thousands, but David his tens of thousands. I think I said millions, thousands, sorry. That's why you listen to the Bible and not me. It goes on, it says, David took this to heart and became very afraid of King Akesh of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. He acted like a madman around them, uh, scribbling on the door of the city gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Look, you can see this man is crazy, Akish said to his servants. Why did you bring him to me? Do I have such a uh, shortage of crazy people that you brought this one to act crazy around me? Is Is this one going to come into my house? So David left Gath and took refuge in the cave of Adalam. I want to pause there for a minute because I want you to see a couple of things. David knows he's going to be king. He knows that who God has called him to be. He has been anointed by Samuel, but yet Saul is trying to kill him. So at this point of David's life, he is on the run trying to stay away from the king. And he gets to this point where he acts crazy. He acts nuts like he spits running down his beard like he's just out of control because he's so fearful of what's going to happen to him. He acts insane so that he is not killed by either Saul or Kish at this time. And so he's trying to figure out it, it, what's going on in life, even though he knows what the future looks like and what's supposed to happen and what he's been told. He's actually at one of the lowest points of his life. He had nothing. He didn't feel like a king. He didn't look like a king. 
we can even see if you uh, look over in Psalm, I'm going to, Psalm, sorry, I'm not used to holding a microphone, so my hands don't work very well. If you look in Psalm 142, this is a psalm written by David. Many believe during this time, and David writes, I cry aloud to the Lord. I plead aloud to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. I reveal my trouble to him. Although my spirit is weak within me, you know my way. Along this path I travel, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, no one stands up for me. There is no refuge for me. No one cares about me. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my shelter, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am very weak. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Free me from prison so that I can praise your name. The righteous will gather around me because you deal generously with me. This is David who knows he's going to be king, who is on the run, who is acting crazy, who is acting insane, and he writes this psalm, and he's really admitting that he's hurting and needing help. Guys, when we think of David, we don't think of this guy who's hurting and needing help. We think about the great conquerors that, that he had and the, the way he thrived and he expanded the kingdom and he was king, and we may think of some of his mistakes after he becomes king and some of the stupid things he did. But we don't think of him being in this position of just crying out and thinking, nobody's here for me. I'm in this all by myself. David admitted he was hurting and needed help. But he was honest enough to cry out to God for help. He was a humble enough to turn to God. But that's not where the story ends. I love this story that we're looking at today. It's one of my favorite because there's just so many things in it. So let's jump back into uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22. And I just want to look at the next couple of verses. We kind of ended in chapter 22 verse 1. But I want to read those first two verses to you. It says, so David left Gath and took refuge in the cave of Adullam. When David's brothers and his father's whole family heard, they went down and joined him there. In addition, every man who was desperate in debt or discontented rallied around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. This is crazy to me. So here's David, running and fearful for his life. He's crying out to God, nobody's here for me, nobody's supporting me, I'm just all alone, I'm going through all this difficult time. He acts insane, he acts nuts, he, he writes on the walls of the, of the city, he, he lets spit run down through his beard, he's got all this stuff going on, and now when he's hiding in this cave, all these people start running to him, his dad, his brothers, all these other men come to him in this cave. Now, Again, you got to look at the background stuff because this is just where it gets amazing to me, the story of David and what's going on here. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, as Samuel comes to look for the next king and knows he's coming from Jesse's sons, Jesse is bringing his sons one by one in front of, of Samuel to anoint one of his sons as the next king, and David's father left him out. David's out in the field watching, and, and so when, when Samuel comes and says, hey, one of your sons is going to be the next king I'm looking to anoint him, uh, he brings his oldest son. He's like, here he is. Is this him? And, and uh, Samuel says, no, that's not him. And he goes, okay, 
bring, I'll bring you my second one. It must be him. And so he brings the next one, and, and Samuel goes, nope, not him. And he, Jesse brings a third, and he brings a fourth. And finally Samuel looks at him and goes, it, it's none of these. Do you have any other? And Jesse kind of goes, oh, yeah, wait a minute. I got one more. Forgot about him. He's out in the field watching the sheep. I mean, just so now David's hiding in a cave, and this father comes to him hiding in the cave when he's in fearful for his life. Not only his dad comes, but his brothers come. Remember, when David fought Goliath, and they're at war, and, and all his brothers are a part of the army, and, and David is still, out, he's still a shepherd, like, which is not a glorious position, folks. Like, this is the trash collector of Philadelphia. I mean, that's what his role was. He, you know, he was the parking authority, the one that everybody kind of looks down on. The, you know, we don't really like them. And, and that's what a shepherd was. And so David's out there, and his brothers are there, and, and he brings them some food. And, and they're saying, like, we're afraid of Goliath, this big giant. And, and they're like, we need a king. Saul, or Saul's like, we need somebody to defeat this guy. And David's like, I got it. And all of his brothers make fun of him and put him down. Like, who do you think you are? You're just our little brother. You're just a little shepherd out in the field. Mind your own business. Now these same brothers who made fun of him and mocked him are coming running to the cave where he's in hiding. The dad who forgot about him, the brothers who mocked him, come to this cave when David is on the run and fearful and acting insane. But it says others came to him. Those who were desperate. Those who were desperate is really inter is, is looking at those people who are under great stress and have extreme anxiety. Guys, is that people in our world today? People who are stressed, people who are anxious, people who are like, I don't know how I'm going to make it through all this stuff. It says not only did those who were desperate come to him, but those who were in debt. And not just a little bit of debt. These are people who had multiple creditors. that They, they owed him money. And we may look at this community and go, oh, there's not people in debt here. You know, this is an affluent community. There's a lot of people here in debt. And if we look around the Philadelphia area, there are so many people that are living in debt that are making their decisions based upon their financial situation and how do I survive. Just because you have a big house and a nice car doesn't mean you have, don't have a lot of debt. Those are the people that were running to David, hiding in a cave. And those who were discontented, it says. Some translations call this bitterness of soul. Those who were bitter in their soul. They felt wronged and mistreated. They were dissatisfied with life. Guys, do we have those people around us? So here's David running for his life, acting insane, trying to figure out how he's going to survive, afraid he's going to be killed by Saul or the king and all this different stuff. And all of a sudden, he's hiding there and his dad who disowned him or forgot about him, his brothers who mocked him, those who were desperate, those who were in debt, those who were discontented, all come running to David, living in a cave. This isn't the nice hotel, folks. He's living in a cave. There's no running water. There's no electricity. He doesn't have any uh, great situation. This is a bunch of needy people. But these people came to David because in him they saw hope. That's why they came. They saw hope. People who were desperate, in debt, and discontented looked at a guy living in a cave, acting insane, afraid of his life, and said, there's something different about him. 
I don't understand all of it, but I'm going to go there because there's something of hope that he has. And guys, his hope came from God, and that's what they saw. That's what we're to be as a church. That's why we plant churches. That's why we are a part of a church family is because there are people in our community, there's people in our lives where we live, work, and play who are desperate, in debt, and discontented. And my hope and my prayer is that in my life, in your life, in the life of Horizon, that people can look at you and go, man, I don't understand it. Just like they didn't understand David's situation, but there's a hope about them that I can't fully explain. David was down. He had nothing to offer. If that was you, what would you do? Because David could have given up. He could have walked away. He could have said, listen, folks, I got nothing to offer you. I got no way that I can help you out. I can't feed you. Like, there, it, it may be a big cave, but it says that there were or three or four hundred of them. There were four hundred there with him, living in a cave. He could have said, go home. I got nothing to offer you. Do your own thing. Leave me alone. I can't handle this. But he made a decision to seek God. As he was in this cave with 400 people, David looked around and he said, I can work with this because my God is bigger than anything I face. He had a motley crew of people who needed leadership and they needed everything else. And David decided to step up and to provide that. To David, to us as a church, to followers of Jesus, to people who are trying to live and love like Jesus, being a place for those who are desperate, in debt, and discontented. To be honest with you, it takes time. It takes energy. It takes resources. And it's inconvenient. And a lot of time, we're like, I don't want to do those things. I got my own things to deal with. I got my own life. I don't have time. I don't have energy. I don't have the resources. I, this is too much work. But David decided that he could work with this and follow God and make a difference in these people's lives. Guys, that's what the church is supposed to be. A place of hope for people who are desperate, in debt, and discontent. And when we as a church try to minister to those folks, it is not always easy. And a lot of times we're like, I don't have the energy, I don't have the time, I don't have the resources. But when we trust and depend upon God, he shows up and does what only God can do. When we say, I can't, God's like, good, because I can and a lot of times, he's just waiting for us to get out of the way and let him do what he wants to do. But what I love is the story still doesn't stop here. Let's turn over one more chapter to 1 Samuel chapter 23. They're still hiding in the cave. And in the first few verses of 1 Samuel chapter 23, it says, It was reported to David, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Kilah and raiding the threshing floors. So David inquired of the Lord, should I launch an attack against these Philistines? The Lord answered David, launch an attack against the Philistines and rescue Kilah. 
But David's men said to him, Look, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Kalah against the Philistine forces? Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go at once to Kalah, for I will hand the Philistines over to you. Then David and his men went to Kalah, fought against the Philistines, drove their livestock away, and inflicted heavy losses on them. So David rescued the inhabitants of Kilah. David didn't get stuck in his own issues, his own concerns, his own circumstances. He's in this situation. He's on, his run, on the run. He's afraid of everything he's got going on in life. He's afraid people are going to kill him. He feels alone. And all of a sudden, this group of 400 men who were, discon- who were desperate in debt and discontented, not a trained army, not a trained fighting group, these people who are like, man, life sucks and my life's falling apart and I don't know what to do, but there's something good about the dude living in the cave. I'm going to go spend time with him. He takes these people, but David didn't say, man, we got it rough enough here on our own. He began to look out and saw others in need. And when he saw others in need, what did he do? The first thing it says he did is he inquired of the Lord. He's like, God, is this what you want me to do? And here's the important thing for us, for you as a church, for us as followers of Jesus, is that we seek what God wants to do in our lives. Because a lot of times it doesn't make sense. David could have said to them, no, no, no. I see those people in need. Do you see our situation? There's no way I'm going to help them. I can't handle this. I got this motley crew of messed up folks right here. We're trying to survive. We're trying to make it. I understand they're in a bad situation, but things ain't so keen here in the cave. Things are rough enough here. And a lot of times, guys, as churches, we're look, we're too young. We're too small. We don't have this. We don't have that. God's like, will you trust me? Will you follow me? I have a plan and a purpose for you. And in the midst of David being in a desperate situation, God said, go. Because David first said, do you want me to go? But what did the men do? The men said, David, you're nuts. Like, come on, David, look here. Look at this situation. You want us to go help them? Like, we're just trying to get through this weekend. We're just trying to, to make it. We're just trying to survive. We're just trying to, we don't want to be discontent and desperate and in debt anymore. We just want you to help our lives get a little bit better. We're scared enough here. Things are rough enough in this situation. We got enough doubts and enough fears. Like, we don't need to go help somebody else. We're just trying to survive this situation. We're already outlaws on the run because if, if Saul caught them, like, they were all dead. So they're like, we're already outlaws. The Philistines were well-armed, well-trained. They were a large army. So what's the difference between David and these guys? These men took their eyes off of God and put them on their circumstances. They said, how can we do this? We're not in a place to help. Guys, I've started churches. I've trained guys to start churches. Right now I'm pastoring a church that Um, when I, in 2012, this church maxed out at about 500 people and God was doing good things at it, but the church got comfortable. And as of this fall, we were 60 people because we became very inward focused and taking care of themselves. 
And as 60 people, we sold our building and we moved to a new location and we renamed our church and we're doing things totally different and we're all about loving our community and making a difference where we live, work, and play. And as we've done this, God's beginning to work and grow. But there's so many people in our church that go, we're not a big church. We're only 60 people, 80 people. When we first moved to this location, we didn't even have a place to meet. We met outside in the backyard. We have some land and some grass, so we met on the grass for a few months. And then we moved into this little bitty room and shoved as many chairs as we could possibly get in that while we worked on another building. So this land had a couple of buildings on it, and we were doing renovations. So part of the reason we did this is so that we could get debt-free as a church. And we were able to get debt-free so that we can love and serve our community. And it doesn't matter how big we are. And it doesn't matter where we're located. We moved from a main location in our town. We were right across from the McDonald's. You guys know McDonald's aren't on little backside streets. Like, they're in a prominent, and everybody's like, why would you move? We were, it's an old grocery store we were in. Huge building, across from McDonald's. Everybody knew where we are, and we moved to this little bitty building off on a side street that when I tell people we're on Smalley Street, they're like, where's Smalley Street? But we got out of trying to do things our way and said, God, what do you want to do? And now it's trying to help our people see that no matter what size we are, God is in control. And we can say our church is young or our church is small. We're tired already. We've gone through a pandemic. How are we going to survive? And David listened to all of those concerns and those doubts. And it says the next thing he did was he inquired of the Lord again. He went back to God and said, okay, God, I thought you told me this, but then I, when I went and talked to my people, they started bringing up all these facts. Like, there's no, we're not in a great situation. And this is what we, do, we need to do as a church. It's like, God, what are you calling us to do? And we can make excuses why we don't do things. But our job is to always go back to God and say, God, what do you want to do? David obeyed in faith and saw God provide. Because if you notice there, there when, Dave, when God talks to David, he says, I am going to give the Philistines into your hands. Not you're going to do it. God doesn't want us to do things in our might and our strength. He wants us to do things in his might and his strength so that he gets the glory. Because he's worthy of the glory. So when you feel desperate, when you feel in debt, when you feel discontent, fix your eyes upon Jesus and see what he wants to do. And a lot of times we're going to be like those men and go, God, we can't because. But God's like, I can. Will you quit trying to do things your way and in your strength and in your might and what makes sense to the world? And will you do what I called you to do? Because I'm going to show up and I'm going to give things to you that you can't even imagine. Before David decided what to do, he sought God and his will. And here's some things for us to remember that David didn't let people sway him. David didn't let doubt rule him. David didn't let pride control him. And David didn't let circumstances stop him. But he let God lead him. And my encouragement to you as a church, on behalf of your leaders and for your leaders, is to let God lead you. Because when I moved up here, 
1999, and they hadn't successfully started a church in 20 years. It seemed overwhelming. And at that point in time, one out of three church plants survived to a fifth year. One out of three. But I've seen God start churches like Horizon, like Watershed, like The Journey, like Riverside, like North Point, like Keystone. God start church after church after church because it's what God wanted to do. And we couldn't do it, but God could. So I like to ask questions when I preach because my hope is you go home and you think through at least one of these questions. So my questions for you is what does God want to do in your life? What does God want to do with Horizon? What does God want to do in this community? Who do you see around you that is hurting and needing help, like the people of Kalaw were? And what do you sometimes allow to stop you from meeting that need? I don't expect you to answer all five of them. I don't even expect you to remember all five of them. My hope is one of those questions tugs at your heart and you wrestle with it this week. What does God want to do in your life? What does God want to do with Horizon? What does God want to do in this community? Who do you see around you that is hurting and needs help? And what do you sometimes allow to stop you from meeting that need? Because here's what I know. We're a week away from Easter. And if Jesus can defeat death in the grave, he can overcome anything that you face as a church and as a person. He can overcome any obstacle, anything that you say, I can't. Look at my circumstances. Look what I'm going through. Look at how tough this is. Look at where I'm at mentally. Look at where I'm at emotionally. Look at where I'm at relationally. Look at where I'm at financially. And we can say all these different things. And God says, I know you can't, but I can. Will you inquire the Lord and will you follow him? But too often we don't seek God. And we often decide what we want to do and ask God to bless it. Too often we make decisions void of God's leadership in our lives. And the story of David and these men hiding in a cave and going to help Kelah is that they let and allowed God to be a part of leading their decisions and where they were headed. Guys, you've made it to five years. And that's awesome. And there's been good days, and there's been bad days. And there's been days you've probably wanted to throw up your hands. I'll speak on behalf of Alex and Darby because I've been there. There's days you want to throw up your hands and say, God, I want to do anything but this because I can't. But God looks at you and he says, I love you, and I can. Will you let me lead your life? Will you let me lead your church? Here's what I know. God isn't done working here, so don't relax. Keep seeking God and don't give up. Keep trusting and depending upon God. And don't ever stop looking for those who are desperate and in debt and discontented. Because those are the people that God wants to love and minister to and help. And there's going to be days that you feel like that person in the cave 
and you're like, I'm desperate and in debt and discontented. And God's like, I know, but I'm with you. Now let's go help somebody else. Because we need to take our eyes off our own circumstances. Focus them on God and see what God wants to do. I want to flash forward several years from this story we looked at today. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, these same men are called David's warriors or the mighty men of David. David's become king. And he has this amazing army who is taking over land and expanding God's kingdom. And these same men who were called desperate and in debt and and discontented are now called the mighty men of God or the mighty men of David. What amazing transformation because that's who our God is. He's a God of transformation. And while you may feel like as individuals or as a church, we can't do anything else. We're struggling where we're at. We're trying to figure out life where we're at. We're trying to figure out what to do next. My life's a mess. My community's a mess. God's like, I'm with you, and I love you, and I have a purpose for you. Will you let me handle this situation? Guys, I'm so proud of Alex and Darby. So proud of who they are and what God's done in them. My girls will tell you the story. I told you I have three daughters. When Alex and Darby first moved here, I would hang out with Alex and I would get ready to go meet with him. And I'm like, he's not really into sports. I love sports. Alex drives slow. I drive fast. I saw nothing that I had in common with Alex. And I'm like, I don't know how to connect and help and come alongside him. When I met him, I'm like, hey, guys, go look at this community. Go look at this community. Go look at this community. And Alex is like, nope, I'm going over here. I'm going to the mainland. I'm like, I don't think you're, I don't think that's where you belong. Alex is like, that's what God told me. That's where I'm going. I'm like, okay. I would hang out with him as I thought I don't have anything in common with him. And I would come home. And every time I hung out with Alex and Darby, every single time I would come home and I would say to my wife and my girls, you know, I like Alex. God's doing some good things in him. To now, this was, Alex, when did we meet, you said, 2013? 2015, eight years ago. If I mention Alex and Darby, my girls, eight years ago, my girls to this day will say, Dad, do you like Alex and Darby? (laughs) Because I've seen God work in his life and work through his life. And I've seen God make an impact in this community, in this building, in this area. And I hadn't planned this. But they're in a rough point right now. And maybe they're the ones that feel like they're in the, ten, in the cave. Feeling hurt. Going through a struggle. Maybe God's calling one of you to step in and minister and care to them because they have given and given and given. And there's days that when you're in that place, 
You're like, God, I don't know if I can make it. My wife and I have had four miscarriages before our daughters. And there was a time that I wanted to walk away from God and walk away from ministry. I'm way off script right now. Sorry. I was ready to walk away and quit. And I heard a guy preach about Joseph in Genesis when he had done the right thing and ran from Potiphar's wife and he was thrown into jail. And there's four times in those chapters of that story of Joseph being in prison, wrongfully in prison, where it says, and God was with Joseph. And God was with Joseph. And God was with Joseph. Here's the thing I know. As individuals, as a church, always remember that God's with you. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when you don't feel it, And I sat in a chapel service in Louisville, Kentucky, and I said, God, I'm done. I'm walking away from the ministry. I don't want to pastor a church. I don't want to start a church if you're going to allow my wife and I go through four miscarriages. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. Like, we didn't want to get pregnant to begin with if this was going to happen. And I saw all these other people having kids, and we we were having miscarriages, and I'm like, God, I'm, I'm done. I want to walk away. And I sat in a chapel service with my arms crossed, and refused to sing and refused to worship and this pastor got up and he said there's some of you here today that are so hurting and so upset that you don't want to worship and you're sitting there with your arms crossed I'm like am I the only one in the room he said I want you to know that God's with you and so there's going to be times this is why church is so important this is why church family is so important because there's going to be times that each and one, every one of you feel like these folks in the cave. They feel desperate and in debt and discontent and say, I can't go on. But as a church family, we come alongside each other and we pick each other up. We give each other a hug and we go, let's fix our eyes upon Jesus. And let's follow him. And a lot of times that means we quit looking at the circumstances and start looking at our neighbors where we live, work, and play and say, God, what do you want me to do? I love Horizon. I love Alex and Darby. It's been five years, but God's not done with you yet. You got a bright future because we got a bright God and a good God and a God that can handle anything. Thank you for the honor of being here with you today and sharing God's word. And reminding you that no matter what's going on in life, our God is bigger and our God has a plan and a future. And he's like, fix your eyes upon me and I'll take you where I want you to go. And we'll meet those people out there who are desperate and in debt and discontent. And we'll bring them to an encounter with our Jesus. And we'll change their eternity. Because here's the end of the story. Not only do we become those mighty men and women, but we get to spend eternity with our Savior. And these little 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years on this earth are going to seem but like a blink of when we get to spend eternity in the presence of our God, worshiping Him. And so when you're feeling desperate and din debt and discontent, Know that you have an eternity where there is no pain, there is no suffering, there is no difficulty. 
and it begins by having a relationship with God. That's the only way you get to spend that eternity with God. God loves you. And know that as your friend, I love you. And that's not as good as God. But we love you and we're here for you. Our church is here for you. And I believe God's going to do great things in your lives and in your church for his glory.